On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we enjoy some long-haul adventures all over the planet. We hit the catwalk of Italy's fashion capital, Milan. We walk in the footsteps of Vincent van Gogh in Arles. Let's go south of the border and say hello to Mexico City. And we sample the sights in South Africa's Cape Winelands region. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. Exquisite to be with you again, Andrew. Splendiferous to be with you. It is. Yes, indeed. It's certainly been a boom summer in Europe. It has indeed. Let us start with Italy. You've just been to Italy. Yes. Is tourism cranking in Milan? Oh, my God, Andrew. Revenge tourism is the term that comes to mind. Revenge tourism? Yes. Okay. So this is, you know, as the name would suggest, a whole lot of sort of pent-up energy to actually get on a plane, harangue a few flight attendants, annoy a few hotel managers, complain to a few housekeepers, moan to a few waiters, and enjoy a nice holiday in Europe. So I was there a fortnight ago, and as the manager of the hotel I stayed at said to me, Go away. (laughs) He probably felt like saying that to half the people staying there. He said to me, We are basking in the tourism renaissance, which I thought was very Milanese. Very Milanese, yes, indeed. But it was like a heaving soup of humanity in Piazza del Duomo, which is the main town square. Yes, yes. Mm. It really was full Tilt. A heaving soup of humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking there was a papal visit or something going on. I uh, thought Fran- Francesco might have been in town. Oh, yeah. It sort nice. of had that sort of excited feel about it mm. in Milan outside the church. But the sheer size of the crowds sort of struck me on one hand as rather confronting. Yes. You know, with all that sort of COVID trauma in our minds, but also liberating. Just that sense of freedom again. The Duomo... Milan Cathedral, is the city's great poster child. This is the world's largest Gothic church, and she is huge, studded with 3,000 statues. It's got 135 spires. So, you know, you might see a nice church and think, it's got a nice spire. This puppy's got 135. It is captivating. Yeah, absolutely. And right next door to that, the extraordinary Galleria. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The Milanese will tell you that this is the world's oldest shopping centre. Yes. Now, I haven't been able to take issue with that yet. (laughs) Give it time. (laughs) But I'm surprised if it is, because it was actually only built in the 1860s to celebrate Italy's unification. Yeah, but how old are shopping centres, really? Well, I wondered. I just thought the Egyptians or the Greeks might have something up their sleeve. Or Westfield. (laughs) Westfield Athens. (laughs) Westfield Acropolis. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, But this Galleria in Milan, it took 14 years to build right. So it was this revolutionary glass and iron blockbuster, and the art dripping from its walls is sensational. Okay, so it took them 14 years to complete a shopping centre in the 1860s, and we still can't finish a city after an earthquake. True. Anyway, the designer, Giuseppe Mangoni, 
had a bit of an accident, plummeted to his death just days before it was finished. Yes. Locals believe that you can avoid. Now, this, this, I think, you remember years ago, they said if you put a bottle full of water on your lawn, it will stop dogs coming on your lawn. It was a joke. And my, everyone did it. My neighbour still does it. I know. Now, the locals believe <laughs> yes. that you can avoid Mingoni's bad luck yes. by rubbing your heel onto the testicles yes. of the mosaic bull on the floor. Yes. Really? Yes. How many people go there and rub their heel on the bull's testicles? I think I watched about 7,500 people do it. <laughs> this is my point. It was a busy day in Milan. Yeah, they no. thought the Pope was in town to do a bit of a shop shop at the Galleria. And but a, yeah, a this, heel ball thing? That's sort of my... If did, I can be a little bit... Um, did you do it? Yes, I did. <laughs> if I can be a little bit critical, well, not critical, but just observant, the testicles of the bull, very big. <laughs> so, Well, there's a lot of room to get your heel onto there. Well, maybe, maybe it was a very generous bull thinking, you know, I'm going to have a lot of people struggling to try and get their heel on my crown jewels. So he enlarged them. I'm not sure. Where are we going with <laughs> this, Michael? I have no idea, Andrew. <laughs> right, the shopping, do, what I, was the shopping centre like? It is absolutely sumptuous. I do feel really sorry, though, for Giuseppe Mengoni. I mean, wouldn't you be pissed? You've spent <laughs> 14 years building one of Milan's greatest ever landmarks. And you take a turf off the top. Three days before grand opening. Yeah. Down you go. Yeah, not good. Bugger. Not good. It is an exquisite place to people watch, and I think this is it. If you want Milan in a moment... You yes. go into that galleria, you see all of these perfumed mistresses teetering about on the skyscraper high stilettos, carrying chihuahuas in the Effendi handbags. That's Milan, isn't it? In yeah, a moment. It is, yeah. indeed. Now, they've also got a lot of signature cafes. I mean, food, Milan. Mm. Yeah. Where would you go? If you are browsing the fashion houses in the Golden Quad, yes. uh, which is a nice little district very close to the galleria, Mm. The place to go for a bit of coffee and cake, Cafe Cova. Oh. Now, this is over 200 years old, this cafe, and it was like a second home to all sorts of A-list composers. So what you need to do, you go to Cafe Cova, you order up a coffee and a slice of Cova Panettone, which was Verdi's personal favourite. Oh. Now, we associate Panettone with Christmas, right? You associate everything with Christmas. Not that I want to remind you that Christmas is coming in a hell of a hurry. <sighs> but panettone actually originated in Milan. Yes. And even though we would typically eat it as a Christmas treat, mm-hmm. it actually sells year-round at Cova. Oh, That's why you liked it. Oh, totally. Christmas all year round. Totally. Now, the other cafe in the fashion district worth staking out is the Armani Oh, Cafe Armani, you yes, know, it's yes. one of the hot haunts for brunching runway models. I didn't think runway models did brunch, to be honest. I thought <laughs> they just had a glass of water. They but, have a lot of sticks of celery at the Armani Cafe. Uh, uh, yes, indeed they do. Yes, um, Giorgio is slowly taking over Milan. So really? He's, yeah, he's got his bookstore, the Armani Bookstore. There is the Armani Hotel. In fact, when the cafe first opened, yes. They had these soap dispensers in the toilets, right? Yeah. Which were Armani Originals, soap dispensers. They were worth a 1000 New Zealand dollars a pop, and, of course, they were stolen. Okay, look, I can get, see, this is it. I can get Armani sunglasses. Right. And I can get, like, an Armani T-shirt. Yes. But an Armani soap dispenser. Every home should have one. Indeed. Yeah. Now, the good street eats in Milan, there's heaps of them. Well, if you need a bit of a break, you know, from busting the budget, um, <laughs> Check out Milan's best street food. Right next to La Scala, the mm. Opera House, 
join the queue outside Luini. Uh, they make the most amazing penzerotti, which are these pillowy fried dough parcels stuffed to the gunnels with tomato and mozzarella. Ooh. And Luini is a, a true hole-in-the-wall shop, yep. hence the queue. And they've been in business since the 1880s. They do some other versions. They do a very nice spicy salami panzerotti. That's really good. Great street food. Cheap, cheerful, quick, and tasty. Yep, just like me. Now, how easy is it to get to see? Let's face it, there are several artworks that have just gone down in history and are known everywhere. Yep. The Last Supper is uh, one of them. Yes. How easy is it to get to that? Well, forward planning is the key. Really? Yes, because they do restrict how many people can see it at any one time. Da Vinci's famous mural, The Last mm. Supper, it would definitely be one of Italy's most adored treasures. I think it's also one of the most elusive uh, because of those small crowd numbers at a time. So you'll find it housed in Santa Maria della Grazia, which was severely bombed during the war. Yes. It's a miracle it wasn't destroyed in the Last Supper. Yeah. Um, Leonardo's work was applied directly onto dry plaster wall, which is the reason for its fragility. You know, a bit flaky? Yes. Peely? Yes. Yeah. And the limited viewing time of just 15 minutes is all part of its climate-controlled protection regime. It's the vividness of the work which is so special. You just feel drawn in as if you're part of the scene when you see it. And I know that uh, some of the famous works are sort of in that vintage. Uh, they also banned flash photography near them as well. Yes, very much so. Yeah, okay. So what, you've got to book two months in advance. Yes, I'd say get, so. To see this. Yeah. So you steer clear of the numerous rip-off Ticket touts. Trawling the streets. Oh, they're everywhere. So you don't go to Viagago. Well, this is it. And you can actually buy tickets there. Can you? At a ridiculous price yeah. for the last supper. You don't want to be wrangling with any of those individuals. They will <laughs> screw was, you. That was so diplomatic, I Michael. just had to self-edit I there. Do. I, I, uh, so book on the official website and it will only cost you 15 euro. But if you go to the likes of Viagogo, you'll be paying 100 euro. Yeah. And yeah. they'll be saying, oh, it's a skip the queue. No, it's not. And then you'll get there and the ticket's not valid. And that too. Indeed. Speaking mm. of Leonardo, there's a new Da Vinci Museum. Yes. He is my favourite genius after you, Andrew. And Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> well, Leonardo Da Vinci, what a titan. Yeah. Art and invention. Yeah, he was a pretty bright little bugger, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. And adjoining the Galleria, the Leonardo Three Museum is a hot new drawer. Okay, it's called Leonardo 3, of course, because there are now more than 200 interactive 3D reconstructions of his inventions and contraptions. This guy, he was a little smart guy. Mm. And everything from the perpetual motion machine and the mechanical dragonfly to the rapid-fire crossbow and the multi-cannon gunship. Yeah. He wasn't just an artist, he was a warmonger. Oh, the mechanical... <laughs> yeah, that's true. The mechanical dragonfly, that's my favourite, though. Yeah. I mean, that's so sci-fi, isn't it? Isn't it? But it was all because of his fascination with flight. Yes. And he, he was desperate to fly. Yeah. Um, the museum also showcases a digital restoration of the Last Supper. So you can see what is missing because of the flakiness over the centuries at Santa Maria della Grazia. It is an enthralling museum, Leonardo III. Now, if you like your glamour pads in Milan, uh, where could one stay? Well, if you really want to splash out on the style stakes, Hotel Principe de Savoia uh, should be your Milanese address. This is like a time-honoured space, over-the-top, 
marble foyers, reams of polished oak. There is a real neoclassical soul to this hotel. It's like a hospitality temple. Yeah. Would they provide you with a chihuahua and a handbag? And a Fendi handbag, <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I didn't ask for a mistress, uh, freshly sh- perfumed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to bring your own. And no stranger to history, first opening its doors in 1896, the AC Milan Football Club. Very, very famous. And it was founded at the hotel yeah. about 20 years later. After it opened, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and by the night, 1930s, the Principe had become a tractor beam for the glitterati. So they've seen everyone through those doors uh, from Charlie Chaplin, Eva Perron, Maria Callas, to the likes of more recently George Clooney, Elizabeth Taylor, Elton John, Luciano Pavarotti. In fact, this is so cool. I noticed this on the menu. His favourite dish when he would go to the Principe was pasta with zucchini, tomatoes and ricotta. And they have immortalised that on the menu today as penne alla Pavarotti. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, because he died of a heart attack, so I'm not sure I'll be taking diet tips from Pavarotti. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, Jimmy Carter, Robert De Niro, Madonna have all stayed in the presidential suite, uh, which has its own Pompeian-style pool. Its own pool. Yeah. Very lovely. And it featured in Sofia Coppola's 2010 film, Somewhere. Somewhere. By pure chance, yes. I actually crossed paths with Sean Penn. Did he punch you? He looked like he was in a foul mood. <laughs> and he had some girlie on his arm who looked like she was in a snot as well. <laughs> but they just, like, sort of rubbed shoulders with me in the lobby. And oh. I have to say, I've yeah. seen some photos of him, like, in the news in the last few months, and I've thought he's looking a bit beaten up. He didn't actually look too bad. Ridiculously youthful, in fact, if I was generous, was, would be how I would describe him for his age. So you never know who you might bump into. I got to say, um, for all the sort of um, you know fun we can make of him, mm. Sean Penn is a fantastic actor. Some of his most recent work is his best. Yeah. He really does a great character. He's done some great work for Ukraine recently. He has way. indeed. Yeah. yeah. Now stay with us. We're on the trail of Vincent Van Gogh in France. It's next. Don't go away. Back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. Let's head to France. France on the trail of Van Gogh. And some people say Van Gogh. It's Van Gogh. <laughs> His legacy. Yes. Would I'll be such a draw if Van Gogh hadn't set up his easel there? Which is a really stupid question. It's like saying, would the Vatican be popular if there wasn't for the Pope? But. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got good art in the Vatican. <laughs> they have to. Alongside waving at Francesco. Yeah. Uh, no. It certainly would not be crawling with as many post-impressionist junkies uh, if it wasn't for Vincent. It is a stunning town, though. Oh, um, Vincent, you're on first name terms with oh, Van Gogh. Me and Vinny. Yeah. I would go there purely to see mm. their fully functioning 24,000-seater Roman amphitheatre. That's impressive. And I thought this was the coolest thing. When they were restoring it a few years ago, they actually launched an amnesty on all of the stone blocks that had been flogged over the centuries to build townhouses and churches. People have got a thing with stones because I do remember that the Grand Canyon in reverse, yes. they had to stop people throwing rocks into the Grand Canyon because they reckoned by whatever year it was, it'd be full up. Yes, this is true. <laughs> so people had stolen some of the original stone blocks. Apparently. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Just a few opportunist floggings yes. of a few blocks to help um, shore up their homes. <laughs> so they'd been repurposed, a lot of these stone blocks, all over how. Mm. And interestingly, many people actually 
surrendered them, turned them back to the amphitheatre during their restoration. So they've been reinserted back into the arena. In fact, like Leon, uh, the amphitheatre's reminder of ancient Rome is so good that back in the day when the Romans were ruling Arles, they actually nicknamed Arles Little Roma because they thought it was such a strong reminder of home. That's also a coffee brand. Hmm. Now, did the Roman ruins arouse much interest from Van Gogh? Well, no, and I have to part company with Vinny. I thought the ruins were good, but he didn't really have much time for them. Uh, He tuned out nearly 200 paintings while living in Arles. The only loose reference to the Roman trappings is in his painting Arena at Arles, which is the amphitheatre, which focuses on this humongous crowd watching the bullfight. Incidentally, bullfights in Arles, they are still staged Mm. in the arena. Yes. But unlike the Spanish, the French don't fight them to their deaths. What do they do? Have a glass of wine or something? They have a little come together. Very nice. Mm. Now, is his studio still standing in Arles? Oh. Yeah. I reckon this is such a great tragedy and a real casualty of the war. No, the building was uh, where he lived and worked was actually destroyed by the Allies in World War II. It was when they were bombing the bridges along the Rhone River to try and paralyse the Germans. Indeed. So, yeah, um, his studio was knocked out and it was sited just by the old city gates of Arles. And this is the studio where he would invite his friends to – stay and work with him like Paul Gauguin, Mm, who he famously fought with shortly before he lobbed off his ear and gave it to a prostitute. As one does. Yes. Now, (laughs) I mean, there are so many places to go with that, but we won't. So (laughs) what about Café Van Gogh? (laughs) Just commercialise something, why not? This is a must. Yes. This, seriously, is like a painting Coming to life. Now, this is the cafe that he immortalised in Cafe Terrace at Night, the first painting that that featured Van Gogh's iconic star-filled sky. Yeah. yeah. That's how most people uh, relate art and Vincent. They think of that, you know, star-filled sky yeah, because yeah. he just kept riffing on it. It's become his thing. Uh, very much his thing. Yeah. Now, you'll find that cafe in Place du Forum, which is this stunning wee square. Needless to say, a cafe au lait uh, will leave you feeling mugged <laughs> at Cafe Van Gogh. It is, it is a shameless tourist trap. I reckon it was about 17 New Zealand dollars. For what? For a cafe au lait. Au lait? <laughs> Holy henna. Now, if, cafe, the, if, holy if henna. you thought the cafe was tangential, let's go and look at Arl Hospital. This, oh. has, this has a nice connection to Van Gogh as well. This was my highlight. And if you think of his ear, you'll find out why. Yes, because this is where he was admitted after <laughs> taking a razor to his ear. Yeah. And the building That's appears- always disturbed me. Very disturbing. Yeah. The building, Arl yes. Hospital, appears pretty much today as it did in the 1880s with its big yellow and cream stripes, its big blazing courtyard flower garden. And that setting inspired one of Van Gogh's greatest masterpieces. Now, if you think we take you on tangential uh, little paths, we do. you're right. He painted a portrait for his doctor at the hospital, right? I think this is the most extraordinary yarn. It is. Yes, he did. And he <laughs> gifted his doctor, yes. Felix Ray, a self-portrait. Yeah. 
to show his appreciation for the way he was cared for after he lobbed off his ear. And gave it to a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. But the good doctor took a look at the self-portrait, wasn't really fussed by it. No. So he actually used it to prop up his chicken coop. Right. So the doctor who dealt with the ear. Yes. Or the lack of ear yes. was given to the prostitute yes. by Van Gogh. Yeah. Had a self-portrait given to him by Van Gogh yeah. and used it to prop up his chicken coop. Yeah. Now the end of that story is that portrait is now on the wall of Moscow's Pushkin Museum. Yeah. And it's valued at 80 million <laughs> New Zealand dollars. That was an expensive chicken coop. 80 million New Zealand dollars. Dear old Dr. Felix Ray, I bet his family are pissed. What a dork. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> so the missing ear, the missing painting, yeah. the cafe, the hospital, and the doctor. Totally. There we see we've taken you on a nice big journey. Oh yes. Now um, Van Gogh prints dominate souvenir shops. Oh yes. Yeah. Actually, I read recently that more prints of Van Gogh paintings are sold around the world than any other artists. Except so, for the eighty million dollar New Zealand one. Yeah, thing that's true. That, yeah, that mm. Moscow's got. Yeah. <laughs> so the souvenir shops in Arles, they totally milk the artist's legacy, shamelessly riffing uh, off him in their merch. Well, you'd want to, really, because it's a great story. Well, in the old hospital gift store... (laughs) We're back to the hospital. I reckon I have now spotted the tackiest souvenir ever. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me it's got (laughs) anything to do with the removed ear. You can buy a self-titled ear razor. Now, I don't know. So, (laughs) I've got to ask, which nationality would that be a fan with? This will shock you, Andrew, so you need to sit down. I'm I'm sitting down. The self-titled Ear Razor is a bumper seller with American (laughs) tourists. And we move on. Only an hour. Coming up, we sample wine in South Africa. I think I need a wine after that. And then we take on the might and power of Mexico City. Don't go away. This is Kiwi Trips. There's Mike and Andrew. Let's head to South Africa with an eye on wine. And Michael's usually got both eyes and probably both hands on wine. And how close are the winelands to Cape Town? Well, this is very handy, Andrew. Just an hour away across the Cape Flats where all of that grinding poverty just seems to sprawl across the plain until you reach the Cape Winelands region. So it's a bit of a confronting drive, I have to say. But the Cape Winelands region, oh my goodness, you've got these serrated mountains rising up from rolling valleys studded in Cape Dutch architecture. Scenically, it is stupendous. It is like bucolic overload. So you made it through all that poverty to get to your vineyard then? Yes, Great. I know. Mm. Now, before hitting the grapes, a must-do side attraction close to Franschik is Victor Vista Prison, which is the last place Nelson Mandela was incarcerated. Yes. Very famous place. So after Robben Island, yeah. he spent 14 months at Victor Vista Prison uh, before he famously ventured through those gates on his walk to freedom in 1990. And a Nobel Peace Prize, yes. Yes. So at the prison gates today, this beautiful life-size bronze statue of him with his fist defiantly raised. You'll actually see a lot of statues honouring Mandela around the Cape. He was such a dude. Yeah. I'm not sure you can call Nelson Mandela a dude, but you know what I'm saying. Totally. Because we grew up. I mean, oh. we, we grew up yeah. with 
the idea. I mean, I always went apartheid. What a stupid idea that is. But mm. we didn't see an end to it. No, that's true. And then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this no. would be the best statue, I think, of him um, outside this prison. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can just rock up and see it. No Absolutely. Problem. Now, the French backstory in the wine country itself is massive. Oh, yeah. The town of Franschik is where the French Huguenots arrived in the 1600s. They were fleeing Catholic persecution. Uh, haven't we all? <laughs> You're still on that journey, uh, aren't you? <laughs> Move on, Michael. They found their way to this town, right, uh, of Franschik and started planting vines all over the Cape region. They settled in the valley. The valley at the time, by the way, was known as Elephant's Corner. Why, Michael, was this known as Elephant's Corner? <laughs> well, as the settlers increased, yes. uh, the elephants thought, ah, oh, someone's moved into our turf. Yeah, so well. they stopped annually migrating into the valley, as they normally would do. So Elephant's Corner gradually became known as French Corner or, in the African, French Hook. Now, this is typical of the old human beings. We sort of displace animals and we displace other human <laughs> beings. We displace nature. I know. Poor alley fence. <sighs> yeah, well, anyway. But I tell you what, the mm. town itself is, is just so gorgeous. Atmospheric, beautifully renovated cottages, landscaped gardens. It's just so lush, so verdant. In fact, a local, when I was there, Andrew, I think this was such a great description. Easy to me. Living here, it's like living in a lettuce. Okay, I appreciate the sentiment, <laughs> but it's like when we talked about the leopard-faced vultures that could read a newspaper from two kilometres above. How do, how do people know what living in a lettuce is like? I mean, what sort of comparison is that? I think he was perhaps in a previous life a snail. I think he might have had too yeah. many wines from the winelands. <laughs> anyway, what are the standout wineries in this here area? Across the Cape winelands, you are spoiled for choice mm -hmm. because they're really big into their showpiece wine estates. Really ostentatious, really glam. Um, so in a New Zealand context, it's more like, say, the Napa Valley in California than the Gibston Valley in New Zealand. Right. Um, so, yeah, really sort of show busy. Okay. The setting is amazing, though, because they've got these dramatic mountains called the Drakenstein Mountains. That's a great name. And then all these lovely lavender fields and meadows. It's just the most beautiful setting for wine estates. I went to a place called Alle Blue, which is one of the oldest wine farms in the Cape. So this serves up the most magnificent view of these mountains and the lavender fields. Oh. Really picturesque. Hmm. Um, I really liked their spicy reds, well-matured spicy red wines. You can taste their award-winning wines on the tree-shaded terrace. Oh, how lovely. Or by an open fire in the tasting room. I'm still upset that they displaced the elephants, but their actual wines, what, yeah. what are their wines like? Well, Cabernet Sauvignon is the region's most widely planted grape variety. Okay. Um, interestingly, they often combine uh, that with Merlot to create Bordeaux blend wines, and it's also blended with Pinotage, yeah. which is a South African creation. Pinotage is a cross between Pinot Noir and Sanso. And I'd have to say, alongside Mandela, Pinotage could well be considered one of South Africa's other favourite sons. It is just so popular. So we're comparing Nelson Mandela, who helped end apartheid, won yes. a Nobel Peace Prize. With a really good wine. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, what would be the most glittery winery to visit? Dahlia Graf, which is this star-spangled wine estate. Sounds like a tennis player. It does. Yeah. Now, this is a vineyard in Stellenbosch. 
in the Cape Winelands uh, region, Delia Graf. So they tout themselves as South Africa's most desirable art, hospitality, and wine destination. This is glamour on steroids. Yeah. But a really nice touch is that all of the original artworks from Lawrence Graf's personal collection on display, uh, they represent some of South Africa's finest contemporary artists, particularly black artists, which I think is such a nice touch. Indeed. Now, the name, if you're wondering, yes, we are talking Graf as in Graf Diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Hence their wealth, uh, hence their art. Yeah. (laughs) So they do have an on-site jeweller there as well. If you'd like to get some Graf Diamonds, sparkling, swanky, it's an undeniably she-she sort of wine estate. You wouldn't have to try hard to blow your budget here. I'm sure you wouldn't. Now, what's so special about Stellenbosch, really? Well, Stellenbosch is South Africa. Africa's most famous wine-producing sub-region in South Africa. The town itself, Stellenbosch, is South Africa's second oldest after Cape Town, and it's home to the country's best-known wine estates. The town is like this patchwork of oak-lined streets, brimming with eateries and art galleries, fabulous place just to aimlessly stroll. So, must-sees while you're there. Dorp Street. I love Dorp Street. It's like a national monument. It's flanked by these meticulously restored homes from every period of the town's history. And you'll want to follow your nose to the 19th century style trading post on Dorp Street, Ormsami Winkel. So in addition to the usual tourist kitsch at this place, they sell some genuine South African produce, Vitblitz and Mampoa, which are both... What? What? what, what? <laughs> get your get your vitplits and your mumpoa, which are both African versions of moonshine. Oh dear! Very potent liqueurs. Yes. It will certainly blow your hair back. <laughs> ah well. So if you come out of that sober, yes. you'd be better than Michael. Mm. Stick around. Our final stop on this edition is the magnificence of Mexico City. Back in a moment. You're back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. And as they say in the US of A, let's head south of the border uh, to Mexico. If you can make it past Donald Trump's silly wall and visit the mighty Mexico City. Uh, the immensity of it is absolutely overwhelming. I remember when I was there, it was just... <sighs> I know, it's quite something, isn't it? It's bigger than a metropolis, so I think technically it's called a megopolis because it is home to over 20 million residents. Yeah. And it's like this... Chaotic tangle of complexities. It is. Um, an infinity sprawl it is. of humanity. You never know what you're going to find. And then you see this, you see a zebra and you realise that it's a donkey that's been painted like a zebra. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's true. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a city of superlatives. They've got the second highest number of museums in the world. Yeah. The oldest forest in the Americas. Then, of course, there is the mega-scale traffic congestion, which brings us to our top tip. Do not try and get a taxi from the airport during the peak hour rush. No, do not. Have a coffee at the airport and wait until about seven. Yeah, absolutely. And the pyramids are something to be held in. Well, on my flight into Mexico City, it was nighttime, and as the city twinkled below, there was this whopping slab of darkness looming large out the plane window, and I thought, that's really weird. What's happened there if they had a power cut? (laughs) And it it turned out to be the site of these pyramids. 
Teotihuacan, 45k northeast of downtown, yeah. this sacred pre-Hispanic city is a blockbuster for history and architecture buffs. And that is an interesting tip too. If you want to see those from the air, uh, fly into Mexico City. Yeah. I've always gone in through from the States, yes. just crossed the border by land. Right. So I've never seen it from the air. Yeah. But built a thousand years before the arrival of the Aztecs, yeah. this ancient Mesoamerican city is at least two thousand years old. It's got pyramids, multifamily residential compounds. It's got the works. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, the Pyramid of the Sun is probably the most popular landmark in this complex. Uh, the immensity of these ancient structures and the civilization responsible for building them, it just leaves you awestruck. You've got to really ask, don't you? How, you know, with all our understanding of what, yeah, how humankind has progressed and got more intelligent, how do they build these? Martians? Yeah, rubbish. Anyway. Uh, E.T., you don't think? Phone home. Yeah. Well, he couldn't find a phone. How could he build a pyramid? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did it, um, but it is absolutely breathtaking. When the original temple, by the way, was excavated, yeah. the bodies of over 200 sacrificed victims were discovered at its base. Now, these bodies are located inside the museum near the pyramids, which whisks you through the background to what they call the City of the Gods. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Now, you don't want to visit these in the heat of the day either. Oh, no, that is very true. Yes, yeah. beat the heat, beat the surging crowds, get there really early, and you'll have a far more pleasurable experience. All right, back to town. What did you make of Zocalau? Oh, I love Zocalau. So this is the heart of Mexico City, raised from the ruins of Aztec Tenochtitlan, yes. which was... Raised by Cortes. Yes. It's quite a complicated history. It is so complicated. But Cortes, of course, Spanish. Yes, Yes, he rocked into town. Hello. Spain's in charge now. (laughs) Uh, Since the time of the Aztecs, the Zocalau has served as the city's hub. Uh, It's hot. It's chaotic. It's crowded. It's a total blast. So it's this monstrous main square, right? And it's ringed by the likes of Cathedral Metropolitana, the National Palace, and there's a whole lot of grandiose structures there. Oh, my goodness. At 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., there is this really cool ceremony that yeah. you can watch. So the military police will come parading out into the plaza with the most ridiculously sized Mexican flag to lower it and to bring it down, you know, to raise it to lower it morning and night. Every day. Every day. Every day. 6 a.m., 6 p.m. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, also in the square, the Aztec Templo Mayor Uh, Following the 16th century conquest of the Aztec Empire, the Spanish overlords set about eliminating totally uh, traces of pre-Hispanic religions by demolishing major temples and building churches atop their ruins. Yeah. And this has been going on with the religions for you know, since time immemorial, <laughs> let's face it. This um, is true. The yeah. amazing thing is, in 1978, there were some workers who were laying some power lines in Templo Mayo, and they stumbled upon the remains of the Aztecs' most important ceremonial centre, Templo yeah. Mayo, in the Zocalo, the square. So subsequent excavations have unearthed all sorts of priceless artworks and the treasures keep turning up. Just a few years ago, they discovered the stone box containing some of the finest Aztec gold ever found. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Uh, yeah. Mind yeah. boggles as to what we have in this world buried yeah. that we've just buried. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And yeah. of course, once we keep on you know, denying that this stuff could be done yeah. thousands of years ago, true. 
We don't go looking for it. Yeah. All right. Did you try aura cleansing, Michael? <laughs> Did you try it? Well, some locals roll <laughs> their eyes about the commodification of this ritual, but it's a very big business in the Zocalau, the mm-hmm. main square of Mexico, aura cleansings, mm-hmm. and it makes for quite a spectacle. So you've got these shamans and medicine men routinely undertaking. Did the shaman tell you they were a shaman? I just um, assumed he was. Yeah, because a shaman will never say they're a shaman. If they say they're a shaman, they're not a shaman. Follow, <laughs> follow that logic. If they say it, they're a sham shaman. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. They're a, they're a shaman. <laughs> oh, no. so, oh, this is bad. Uh, move on. I'll leave the jokes to someone else next time. <laughs> so, yes, um, I did give it a go. Aha. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we have these herbs and small pots with incense typically made from Mexican copal, which is sort of like a resin, and feathers. They were among the accoutrements. Well, you'd have an identity with feathers. Birds love you. This is true. Mm. So this is all used to clean the paying seeker's aura. Mm-hmm. So I blithely contributed to the local economy, but I do remain in doubt whether my aura was the better for it. I can probably tell you it's not. Right. But and, and I'm not saying anything about aura cleansing, but when you do go to places and you have people doing these things, you need to probably check that they're actually legit. You know, as I was a, helping the economy. Very good. What museums did you stake out while you were there? Oh, so many. Uh, my pick would be the Mexican Art Museum. This is where you will find Diego Rivera's famous mural, Epic of the Mexican People. It is gobstopping. Mm-hmm. I thought of you, you Andrew. I oh, thought dear. the Trotsky House Museum would be up your street. It would. Paying homage to the exiled Russian revolutionary who lived there for a couple of years um, just after World War II started. Oh, very nice. Mm. Now, he survived an assassination attempt in 1940, but he was knocked off by a Spanish communist just three months later. Yes. Yeah, unfortunate. His ashes are actually buried Mm -hmm. uh, beside those of his wife in the garden. Oh, how joyous. (laughs) It's the museum. Another big crowd pleaser, by the way, is Casa Azul. I bet he is. <laughs> so this is a cobalt blue and brick red residence. Uh, it's where the legendary visual artist Frida Kahlo grew up oh. and at times lived with husband Diego Rivera. Mm-hmm. Uh, she died in this casa. In addition to holding some of your paintings, there's just the most incredible collection of pre-Columbian artefacts and the museum also does a really good job taking you through the artist's life, all of her struggles with depression, her infidelity. She was a bit of a minx and her illness. Another cheerful little thing to go and look at. Fantastic. Foodie highlights in the city. There And there are many, believe me. Well, this is it. And I think the best way to get a taster yeah. of um, the scene is to take a food tour with Eat Mexico. They do the most awesome guided walking eating tour uh, through the city centre. And even visitors who consider themselves fluent in both the Spanish language and in Mexican food can find themselves scratching their heads over the restaurant menu. So this is where having a a, a local uh, guide really does help. The influences from all over the country's regional cuisines is just extraordinary. So you've got a bewildering array of choice in a lot of menus. Including insects, which are wildly popular in Mexico City. Some of the most decorated eateries have added fried margay worms to their culinary repertoire or guacamole with grasshoppers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. 
rich in protein. When in India. Kind to the planet. And Mexico. Worthy of Aztec nobles. They had a good munch on the old hopper and worm. Hmm. So what's not to like? Indeed. Um, how about, how about, I just think I've swallowed one. <laughs> how about sautéed beetle larvae, por favor? <laughs> By the way, yes. I did try a mage worm. Did you? I yes. only tried it after I realised technically it's a caterpillar. And I know that sounds shallow, but I thought that makes it marginally more palatable. As opposed to a tequila worm. Well, oh, I could not do that. No. By the way, as a caffeine fiend, yes. I have to say I fell in love with Chiapas coffee, which you will find all over Mexico City. Widely available, bowl tasting, aromatic. Pack a bag or two of beans. <laughs> <laughs> for your luggage yeah. for the trip home. Yeah, yeah. just make sure you declare them when you need to. Oh, yes. Now, thanks for joining us. That's it for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. <laughs> Don't bring any bargay worms in, though. <laughs> Be sure to like our Facebook page, and you can see our show notes on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. Now, the articles on the topics we have chatted about, like Milan and Arles and the Cape Winelands, Mexico City, you will find them on our companion website, fortheloveoftravel.nz. That is for the love of travel.nz. Plus, we would always love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. Feel free to be unvarnished and unfettered and unstoppable with your feedback. Unstoppable is this edition's word, is it? I think so. It is indeed. Yes. And we hope to catch you back for a very fresh episode soon. Travel well. Telly ho. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.